Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Chase the Vase podcast. Guys, I have Russell Brunson here with me today and the owner of ClickFunnels. I do a lot of preparation. But have you ever Googled yourself? I stopped doing that years ago. It got, sometimes it gets creepy. I don't know. You can't do it because you're height and weight and all that stuff's all over the place. How many people you love, your kids. I'm like, man, I got to go to the source on this one. Yes, set the record straight today, right now. I'm a fan. First off, I have followed you. I have a coach through ClickFunnels. My man, Steve, I know everybody knows Steve, but I just want to, I want to put that together. I met you in Idaho and I got to admit, man, I got to go backwards and tell you that I, I felt like I kind of, uh, if I had known you were going to be in the audience, right? What's crazy is like, we never prepare for these things. We should. Yeah. It was super cool meeting you there too. It was fun. Well, as I'm up there, man, there's Russell sitting out there, but hey, I want to get into it. I want to go back to your state championship days, man. And in high school, when you were an All-American, my boy Shane said, ask Russell his craziest story on cutting weight. And back in the day, I'm 50, okay? So I'm a lot older than you. And cutting weight and wrestling was a big thing. I know NCAA's changed all that, high school's changed, but man, you went through it to cut weight. Yeah, in fact, my senior year in high school, For those who follow wrestling, that year, three kids in the United States died from cutting weight. And so that year, my senior year, they changed all the rules and it's much healthier nowadays. Prior to that, my sophomore, junior year, like and half my senior year, it was insane. And I used to sit there with my dad and his brothers at night. We'd hang out and sit in the hot tub or whatever. My dad would tell cutting weight stories. So as a kid, I'm like, I can't wait to cut weight someday. I'm going to be so excited. And so that was like, for some reason, I thought it would be the coolest thing in the world. So I remember my sophomore year. Our 135-pounder was a really good wrestler, 140-pounder, 145, like our three best guys. And I weighed like 150, 160, whatever it was. And like to cut weight, like I couldn't beat any of those guys. And so I had two options. One is go like 152, which would have been like giants or cut down to 130. And so I decided to cut to 130. And so I was cutting, I still remember it was after Christmas break. It was the January after, after New Year's. We had a tournament on Thursday. I remember coming in on Monday. I stepped on the scale and I weighed 160 pounds, knowing that to be 130 on Thursday. And all the coaches were like, make sure you don't overeat during Christmas. You know, make sure you're good during the holidays. And I remember getting in there and the coach was like, how much you overweight, Brunson? I was like, 12 pounds. He's like, 12? And starts yelling at me. And I was like, if he knew I was 30 over, he would be so mad. <laughs> that was the biggest week ever. I'd lose 30 pounds in four days, actually three and a half days. And it was nuts. You know, it's funny if you ever cut weight, like the very first practice, you lose like eight pounds. The next one, you lose like five and then three. And it gets harder and harder because you're like all the water's being sucked out of your body. And I would remember I'd go through a whole practice and my dad would show up. He'd bring dry clothes. I'd take them off my wet clothes, put dry ones on and go again. I kept doing that three or four times a night until I, until I made weight. So it's some, some fond memories, but man, it was, it was brutal. 30 <laughs> pounds in three days. That's my record. Listen, women right now adore you. They want to know how you do it. You don't want to my way because the second you drink water, it swells back up and you're back to normal. Do you have the suits where you'd, ri- you'd open them up and just pour out like plastic bags? Yeah, we, so I put a thing of sweats on then put like uh, these plastic suits on top of those and then sweats on top of that. And then you wrestle hard and put beanies on. It keeps all the heat inside of you. And yeah, you take off the sweatshirt, take off the plastics and your, whatever you have, like your sweatshirt, 
you'd wring it out and it's like, you know, think about eight pounds is a gallon of water. So you'd wring that out and a gallon of water would like spring out of your clothes. Like it's disgusting and amazing. So did you wrestle in Idaho or Utah? I grew up in Utah. So I wrestled in Utah and then I wrestled at BYU for a year and then they dropped the wrestling program and I transferred to Boise State. So that's how I ended up in, in Idaho. But I'm a Utah boy. And that's why you're an anti-BYU fan. Yes. And it's funny because uh, BYU dropped the wrestling program and then Boise State dropped the wrestling program. And now I hate both the schools. At the BYU-Boise State football game, they actually called us and asked if ClickFunnels would sponsor. It'd be the big, you know, the ClickFunnels, Boise State, blah, blah. And I was like, you guys literally both dropped wrestling. Like, I'm not giving you guys a penny. Like, you guys ruined college. As, anyway. Dude, that's funny. So, man, I just did a little bit of research on you. I want to know, man, what does it feel like to have so many followers? And not only that, but I'm not trying to balloon you up, but because I have a point. Like, I know you have millions of followers. You've created millions of millionaires through your click funnels and that. How much pressure is that? Like, on you at night, man, like, do you sleep well or are you just like so just worried about other people? There are things that are really hard with it for sure, especially like those who don't know me. I'm very introverted. Like, you know, you, you sat next to me at the dinner thing we have. Otherwise, I'm probably going to talk because I just like hide there by myself, right? It's tough sometimes, especially when I first got started because I wasn't used to it. And like um, the very first time you have somebody like talk trash about you, tell you you're a horrible person, tell you you're a scam artist, tell you like you all the things. Like, in fact, I remember my very first, is after Clint and I got married, I just started my business. We didn't have any kids yet. I'm at Thanksgiving dinner at my in-law's house. We're sitting around a table and my mother-in-law says, hey, Russell, I Googled, this is funny you said that earlier. She's like, I Googled your name. And there's a video saying you're a scam artist. Do you scam people? That's what she asked me at Thanksgiving dinner with the entire, like my in-laws. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I snuck away and I jumped on the computer. I'd Google my name. And I was like, and sure enough, this guy who I found, I'm, I met him, the guy's a punk, made a video saying Russell Brunson's a scam artist, talked about how whatever, whatever, and then pushed people to his product. I literally called him on the phone. I was like, dude, this is not even true. He's like, it doesn't matter. He's like, I'm getting so many leads off of your name. It's totally worth it. I was like, this is... Anyway, so unethical, but that's what he did. It took me six years before he finally pulled the video down. But for six years, that was like the number one thing you turned when you type my name. And like, and it was like things like that all the time. It was like so brutal, like everyone taking shots at you. And so I had to get pretty thick skin where nowadays that stuff doesn't bother me as much. The stuff that is hard for me um, is just, honestly, it's just like, I feel like we're trying to help so many people to have success. And like the process things we do work, but then there's all these external things that change, like Facebook changes and Google, all these things are changing. So like, it's not like I can't just sit back and take a nap and relax. It's like we're keeping innovating and changing constantly and consistently, which is a lot of fun, but also sometimes it's stressful. Like when Facebook first had a big Facebook slap like six or eight months ago, when Google or like when Apple and Facebook got in big fights and things stopped working, ad costs like 10X on everybody. And everyone's like, my funnels don't work anymore. What do I do? And I'm like, let's get back to work and figure out different things, you know? And like, those things are definitely scary because it's like, you see all these people who you love and you care about whose businesses all of a sudden stop working. Yeah, that definitely weighs on my mind a lot. So how do you handle it, man? Like, I mean, I'm being serious because there's a lot of pressure. And a lot of times, I mean, I work in the recovery space and pressure creates relapse. It can either create success or it can create relapse, right? And a lot of people we see nowadays, are they're buckling. They get this pressure and like, dude, none of this is worth it. I felt better when I was drinking or I felt better when I was doing this. So how do you, what are your tools that you use, man? I've had to be really conscious of that because I think just like anybody, we have our, we have the dark things we slide into and they're different for everyone. Some people it's food, some people it's sex, it's drugs, it's pornography, like it's different things. It's been interesting because there was a season when I was starting my business and I didn't realize it in the moment, but looking back now, uh, where I had gained, man, 50 or 60 pounds, like my happy place was, like I got stress and pressure and there was a sushi place like a block from here. And so I'd go to sushi every single day. 
Because like that was like the release, like that was the thing I needed. But it got to the point where I was like doing that once a day, maybe twice a day. Like every time it gets stressful, I'm like, I need sushi again. And like, which is a, a harmless, you know, there's definitely, as you know, there are way more harmful things, but that was the thing for a long time. And I didn't realize it until all of a sudden that I look in the mirror and I'm 230 pounds and I'm tired, I'm unhealthy, and then it's causing more press and more stressor, you know? And so um, those who've been following me, if you look at me now, I'm 50 pounds lighter. So like I've had to take that release away. And it's like, okay, where's the, like, I have to be careful because like you got to have the release. Otherwise you just explode, right? And so what's the release? And, and then right now we've got teenagers that are causing insane amounts of stress, you know? Three boys, right? And two daughters? Two are twins, you know, three that are in high school. Well, this is the last day actually high school today, but as we're recording this. So it's like for me, it's been trying to find other things that release pressure. So this is interesting. So last year, one of my closest friends in the world, my CEO, who was a CEO at ClickFunnels at the time, got a brain tumor and it sidelined him and he almost died. It was crazy. And like there was that. And then there was other things. And so I was very careful. Like, okay, I know what my dark sides are like. I have to find something different. And so it's funny. You can ask anyone here in my company what, what it went to, but for me, it became eBay. And so I went through this moment for like eight months where I would stress out and I'd go to eBay and I start finding, and I collect old books. So I started buying old books, like first editions of these different things I like. And I ended up buying <laughs> in an eight month period of time, about 3000 books off eBay. So that became my thing, which is I am building a business and a library. So there's like an outlet for this chaos. So it's not completely just chaos, but it was very much like everyone's like, you can tell how stressed out Russell was by how many boxes uh, the mailman would bring in that day. That's addiction, bro. You know, that's addiction, right? Totally addiction. But we all have addiction. That's the biggest thing. Like I'm actually writing my fourth book right now, which is on, it's called The Secrets of Success. And literally a whole big part of it is about addictions because we all have addictions, but there's positive or negatives. You have to understand, like when you start understanding these and how they affect you, it's like, okay, I'm going to be addicted. I'm addicted to working out or church or relate. Like we all are addicted to something and addictions aren't necessarily bad, but it's understanding that like there's always a dark and a light side to everything, right? Our identities, there's a dark and light side. Like I was thinking about this with my kids the other day. I like everything we value gives us an identity, right? So I value God and then I have an identity associated. I value sports and athletics and I have a, an identity. Like I'm a wrestler, like that's my identity inside of this value that I value, right? Every time you have something you value, there's always a light and a dark side. And I see this a lot inside of my church, right? Someone like loves God. They love the church. They love everything, which is very positive, right? And it's addiction. They go there. All their needs get met. They, they go to church. They do the callings. They do all that kind of stuff. But then there's the dark side where if someone's not doing it. You see like how they just attack and they, they make. And so like, everything, doesn't matter how good the value is, there's always a light and a dark. And there's always an addiction on both sides of it. So it's understanding like this thing is not like, no matter how good wrestling was or starting a business is there or losing weight, there's like everything that you value that's good. There's a light and a dark. And you have to be very like what's the line and strategically build your addictions in a way that, that the addiction is the, on the light side, not the dark side. Does that make sense? It's hard to explain, but like in my head, like it, I definitely am aware of that now. I never needs to be aware of it. I, I became aware of it. It's like, okay, all these things are good, but there's a dark side of every good that you have to be very careful of and be very aware of. So in, in recovery, we call it, we call it three letter or three awareness, knowledge, choice, right? And you're hitting on a very important aspect is you have to be aware. So you mentioned like two or three times that there are dark sides. Have you identified, do you know like your dark sides? 100%. I think through every value I have, I associate an identity with that value. Each of that little pocket, like what's the light side and the dark side of that identity for myself? So how do you stay balanced then? Because I'm looking at this and I could see with your professional life. So you have five kids, you're married, right? A firm testimony of the gospel. I understand all that. But how do you stay? Because it's almost like this drive. You're addicted to work, right? Maybe not addicted to work, but you're addicted to the grind. 100%. And I have to be careful because if I'm not careful with that addiction, that addiction will drown out my family. It's easier for me to get my needs met at work than is my family. I'm very aware of that. That's why I have hard starts and stops. Because if I'm not careful, like I'm the guy, 
literally my family went out of town. I set up a tent and a cot in this office so I didn't have to leave for three days while they were gone. Like that's the addiction level I have of, of my work and my art, right? Like I love this so much. And because I'm aware of that, like I realize if I'm not careful, I will lose my family. I will lose my kids. I will lose everything. And so I have hard stops where I'm like, I have to stop right now or else it's going to be four in the morning and I'm not sure my family is, right? So, but I'm very aware of it. I think most people aren't aware of it. They just get in these cycles where they're going, going, going. And I, again, I was eating sushi twice a day for five, eight years, whatever it was. I, didn't, I wasn't aware of it. That was the thing that went because it was like the easy, like, oh, like this is relaxed, release, all kind of stuff. And I wasn't aware of it until also one day I'm like, I feel horrible. Like, oh, you know, and, and excuse me. And then understanding that, it's like, okay, I've got to figure this out, right? Like, how do, I, how do I shift things around? I think being aware is the biggest thing that most people aren't. Other than your wife, Colette, I know she is. But who's your spiritual advisor? Like, who can look at Russell and say, bro, way too much? Like, when you start looking at your tip and some scales here, and you need to bring back some balance, go home. Who's telling a guy like you that? It's, it's been weird for me because this is, I did a podcast once called The Side of Success I Wasn't Expecting. And it's been weird because, like, you think in your head, at least I always thought, like, when you're successful, people are like, oh, it's so cool. And they're going to celebrate with you. And what actually happened was the opposite. When, like, the more success I had, the more people would distance themselves from me which was really weird and like backwards from what I thought, which also forced, you know, maybe driving me like try to be more successful. And so it's been hard because there's not, I don't know. And I think it's partially I'm introverted. Like it's harder and harder for me to get friends and get connection with people. So I do have a group of, I don't know, a handful of people who, who I feel like are peers that I love that I respect. And we check in on each other a lot because of that. And it's funny because some of them, one good example, Dean Graciosi is one of my favorite people in this world. He's very much wired like me and hardwired, but he also is like aware of it. And so we check all the time. Like, I have not missed one of my kids' wrestling practice. I go to every single one. I'm at every single match. I'm like, I'm every practice. I'm not just like, I'm at the practice in my workout clothes wrestling with my kids. Like I just carve that out of my day. And Dean's the same thing. He's like, I haven't missed one of my kids' baseball games. I'll miss a deal where I can make a million dollars because I'm not going to miss, you know, it's like we like checks and balance and that kind of stuff to make sure we're, we're stuck with it. I have other friends like Jenna Kucher, who's a really good example, who's not like me. She's very successful, but not obsessive compulsive. And she's always checking on me like, you like, you need to stop working. She'll see me doing a podcast or see me go on Facebook live or something. And she'll literally message me like, you need to stop and go home. Like, we don't need you anymore. We're like you, everything you've given us, the world needs it. Go home. Your family needs you now. And like, she'll literally check, like send things like that to me through messenger and stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm going home. Like, you're right. Like, like what more can I give? Like I've written these books. I've, like, I've given my heart, my soul. Like it's there. Like, let me go home. But it's hard because you know, the mind defaults to the easiest path of resistance, which is rarely the right side. Okay, this is a question I'm going to ask you, and it's interesting because my wife asked me the same question. What are you afraid of then? Like, I mean, why? You think about it, we're so driven, man. You're so, you, you become so, like, addicted to this and helping other people. What are you afraid of? Like, pulling back, are you afraid that someone's going to miss it or you're not going to be able to explain it well enough? What is it for you? I don't know how to, to tangibly say it, but I, can, I know the experiences that led to it. So maybe I'll share that and maybe some come from it. Like when I was wrestling, my junior year, I won the state title. And it was like all my dreams, I hope I got it, I accomplished it, got my hand raised. And then, I, well, next year I'll win it again. I'll be a two-time state champ. That's kind of what happens. Next year I go in state tournament, I lose in the semifinals, and I'm taking third in state, and I'm broken. And in my head, I'm like, was I ever worth it? Was I ever good? Was I like, was it just a fluke that I won last? Like all the things, right? And I'm looking around at like all my peers and my friends, and like they always, you know, I think in my head, I thought they, they, you know, they looked at me as like, this person was a state champ, whatever. And now it's like, oh, he lost. Like, maybe it wasn't that good. And like that fear drives me crazy. You know, for me, like in wrestling, I remember that drove me so much. I ended up, there was a national tournament two months later and I almost dropped out of school. I was working out seven hours a day for two months, went to the national tournament and took second in the nation. Third in state, second in the nation that year because I had to prove myself. 
And I feel like that's been a huge part in business too. Is like, like we won, right? We, we became the biggest company in our industry. Like we won, but then I'm like, what if we shrink? What if someone passes? And so like, there's, it's an irrational fear, but it's definitely there. And it's always like in the back of my head, like, and you know, and I think it's a fear. And Tony Robbins says, it's like the two fears we all have is it, that, um, that we're not enough. And if we're not enough, we're not going to feel loved or whatever. Right. Like those are the fears. And I think that's it. Like, like, I don't know how to turn that off, but I definitely feel like that's a part of it. Cause you know, last year we had the opportunity to sell ClickFunnels. We could have sold it and never had to work again for the rest of my life. But I was like, it's not where I want it to be. Like, I'm, like someone's going to beat this. Like, we have to, like, I have to do this big trajectory to get a spot where it's like, we'll be untouchable. But like, you know, and so we'd said no to like being done forever in exchange for a whole bunch more effort and work. That's the fear. That's the lingering thing in my head for sure. Is it because of the team? Is it because of the people you have working with you that you want to keep in them business, keeping them working because you love them? I think so, but you know, if we sold ClickFunnels, they'd still have a job. They, you know, it wouldn't have changed anything for there. It's more so like, I talk about this in Expert Secrets, like when we're selling something. So this is like the opposite side, but we're selling something to somebody. Like people either buy or they don't buy based on one thing and one thing alone and it's status. Like, will this increase my status or will this decrease my status? Like that's, that's the lever. Unconsciously, it's happening back here in the back of our brain that makes these decisions for us, right? And so I look at uh, the flip side of that of me where I'm not trying to sell myself something, but I'm sitting here, it's like, that's the fears, like the increase or decrease of status. Like that's what drives everything. And I hate that about humans because it's like the most annoying thing. But and everyone's like, well, that's not true for me. But, but literally like I watch people that go to church with us who like they drive a minivan. Like I don't believe in status. I drive a minivan. I'm like, you literally drive a minivan because if you drove a Ferrari, your friends would make fun of you and would decrease your status. Like it's the same. It works both directions. Being frugal is about increasing your status just as much as making spending a bunch of money increases your status. Like there's a definite correlation between those things, right? That most people won't admit to, but it's happening every single day. In fact, I feel like like the part of our brain that tries to protect us, you know, it's the thing that like if a bear jumps out, it freaks you out and you run away or try to attack it or fight or flight. Like that part of your brain is really useful. It's very useful in like in physical confrontations, but it's trying to protect your body. But it, it tries to protect two things. It protects your body and it protects your ego. And your ego is status, right? It's like, and so this thing in, that's in your brain that's so good at like you know, protect yourself from like dying is trying to protect you from dying, your status dying, right? Like it's protecting your ego. And like, that's what it is. So I've read, like my buddy wrote a book, Ego's the Enemy. And like, I, I understand these things consciously, but still it's like this constant thing that makes it hard. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. If you can solve it for me. So if you don't mind, I have like, if you saw my book, dude, I have, I have gone through this, but there is a part in Expert Secrets that I want to talk to you about. It's called uh, How We Rewrite Our Stories. And I know that you probably have this memorized, but you talk about depend on the experience of the story that belief may serve and protect them and to create a false belief, right? We create these beliefs to keep us safe and to safeguard our status. And while they're being open to protect us, oftentimes they're also the things that keep us from progressing in our lives. And I was wondering about that in recovery, okay? Like we talk about these war stories all the time in recovery. I know that you and your wife has some experience in addiction recovery in your family. I know all that. But my thought is, man, like you're an expert at this. How do you help people get through this war story when it's such like it has such an emotional connection to them? So like when you're helping people come off opioids or fentanyl or alcohol, that's been their crutch for so long. So like for you, you took click funnels away. That'd be like there's a detox process. Right now you're creating this new story and you have all these war stories from ClickFunnels. So how do you get that replacement and let people know it's okay? Maybe, maybe that's what I'm asking. Yeah, that's such a good question. It's funny because this new book I'm writing, The Secrets of Success, it's literally like expert secrets, but flipped around where it's like, instead of here's how you sell somebody, it's like, here's how you shift your own beliefs internally. Like, it's really fascinating, actually, like the yin and the yang of it. But that's the hardest thing is like the stories is what drives everything, right? The stories drive our belief. It drives these things, even if it's 
the belief that's like drowning us, right? You know, like I believed during my sushi days that like eating sushi was making me happy. So I kept doing it and doing it until I realized I'm so unhealthy. Like I can barely move. Like I'm not happy. This doesn't make me happy, but I believed it was because in the moment as I'm eating it, hanging out with my friends, like there's that momentary happiness, right? That happens from it. And I imagine with drugs, it's probably twice as much because you also have like the, the actual chemical addictions on top of the mental addictions, which I, I don't have any experience with that at all. So I don't understand that, but I, I know how powerful the mental addictions are alone. But the biggest key with anything, like if I'm trying to sell somebody something, if I'm trying to convince myself is we're going to believe the story we've been telling ourselves for a long time. And it's tough because we've been telling ourselves for a long time. So it creates, uh, Napoleon Hill calls it hypnotic rhythm, where we keep saying it so many times, it becomes subconsciously like, like this hypnotic thing that, that like we just slip back into it. You know, we try to come out of it and we slip back into it. We get back in this hypnotic rhythm. And so the only way to really break this hypnotic rhythm is you have to have something else that's even more powerful that'll like take you out of this one and then keep you over, over here. So I talk about with addictions, even like for me to break an addiction, I have to create a positive addiction because it's, it's not that like, I still have to have the outlet, the outlet's going to, like, I'm going to slip back into it. So I figure out the new thing and then I got to do it long enough that it becomes hypnotic rhythm where I like the default is to slide into that thing, right? That's actually positive and helping me. And so, and the way you start doing that is by telling these stories. So the, the first thing is helping people identify the story. Like I didn't realize I had these stories happen in my head until the very first time I went to a Tony Robbins event and he like pointed it out and I, it didn't make sense to me until I started thinking about the things I do and like the stories I'm telling myself in my head, they're happening. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like these are my stories. And I started physically writing them down. Like, like the reason I keep doing this is because I believe da da da. I believe da da da. I started believing like these are the stories that I believe. And they're usually based on experience, right? Like I did something, therefore it causes this pattern, it causes this thing. And I'm trying to think like, hey, what's the belief I have that, that's not serving me? And then why do I actually believe that? Like something happened. There's some story, like some experience happened. Like what was the experience? And then based on that experience, what's the story I told myself? right? Now the experience happened no matter what, but the story, you have the ability to change the story. Tony Robbins calls it uh, the meaning maker. Like we, we always attach a meaning to something, right? If you just look like, what's the meaning I attach that? Let me, let me change it to something different. It can change your destiny. And I remember he did this, ex- he did this, um, this like workshop thing at Date with Destiny where he had us find an experience that like we'd gotten annoyed or upset about, right? And so right atop the paper. So I remember writing my wife and I had some altercation that morning or something where I annoyed each other. It was like, so I was like, oh yeah, when Colette did blah, 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 this is what made me mad. So I wrote that down. They said, now take a piece of paper and like draw a line down the middle and left-hand side, tie, like write all the meanings, like what that meant to you. And I was like, oh, it means she doesn't love me. It means that, you know, she wasn't paying attention. It means that blah, blah, blah. And I started listing out like, you know, all the meanings I attached to that thing. I had a list of like 20 different things, right? And Tony got done. He said, okay, now what I do is, is look at the line on the left-hand side and you have a line down the middle. Now write the exact opposite on the other side. So I was like, she doesn't love me. So opposite, like she really loves me. She doesn't pay attention. Like I talk too fast or whatever, you know, and, like, and like make the, the secondary list. And they said, now I want you guys for just a moment to stop, look on the right-hand side and pretend that that was the meaning that that person meant to give you in the moment. I remember reading the first thing, the second thing, and by the third thing, I was bawling my eyes out, realizing that that was probably the clip that I loved, that I married. And that was the meaning she attached, but I attached the, the exact opposite. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, like it was me. I, I was the person wrong. It was that thing. And so I think for all of us, it's like really, it's like understanding like the story, but like what was the experience that caused that story? And then what was the meaning you attached that, that gave you that story? Because if you shift the meaning, you shift everything. And, but it's hard to do unless you're consciously like getting out a pad of paper and like, okay, let's write down like, what is the experience? What is the meaning that I'm associating it, right? Especially for the big, I mean, you can't do this for everything in your life, but the big things, like if you've had a, a spouse that broke up, if you had kids, or if you've had you know, parents or experiences with your childhood, like the big things, like it's worth sitting down and like rethinking through those things. Because all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, like my whole life has been going this direction because of the meaning I attached. And what if it was this? And you change that and all of a sudden it changes your destiny. It's really fascinating. Promise you, I'm going to try to keep this in 30 minutes, but this is one thing that I was most impressed with you. And I I think I've told you this in a message before, is your relationship with God. And 
you look at a lot of people that have become successful and that's kind of the first thing that goes. Why and, and how maybe how has that become such an important thing for you to keep talking about? I know you just did one about being an imposter syndrome and you talked about Jesus and I was just like, dude, I freaking love this guy. And so number one, thank you for that because it really does from the outside world, it means a lot to see somebody who's willing to talk about Jesus. But why have you kept that in your repertoire when it would have been easier just to take it out? Man, one of the greatest blessings happened to me that at the time I thought was the most horrible thing in the world. So this is, here's your meeting, my switching my meeting. I built my company up to like 100 people. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I was drinking my own Kool-Aid. Like I believed that was the greatest thing in the world. And then my business got destroyed, like just, just smashed. And I remember in those moments, first off, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. And then I also realized like, I'm really not that great. Like there were so many external forces that made this thing be successful. Right? The, the ideas that popped in my head, like where those come from? Those are, I'm just a genius. I came up with the idea. No, like there's inspiration, there's gifts, there's people, there's other. And also I realized like by losing it all, I realized that like, it wasn't me. Like this is a team effort. And like, if we're following a mission collectively, like God's going to put the right people in place to build the team that I need to be successful. He's going to give me the ideas, the inspiration. And so the second time we built it, I was very, very aware. Like, this is not me. And if we think it's all me, this is all going to collapse again because that's what happened last time. And I think most people don't have that. Most people I have success and they keep having success and they never have that moment to lose it all and realize, wow, I'm not nearly as cool as I actually thought I was, right? And I tell people this a lot. Like, I don't think I realized that this was inspiration or revelation, whatever you want to call it. Like, I just, for a long time, I have ideas sometimes. And I had a coach, man, probably four years ago now. She's one of the best coaches I ever had. It. And she asked me, she's like, she's like, don't you see the connection? And I was like, no. She's like, she's like, these aren't just ideas coming to you. This is God giving you ideas. Like, he's really inspiring you to see what you're going to do with it. And he's like, everybody gets these. He's like, most people get the idea and they don't do anything with it. And eventually God stopped gives them ideas. But God gives you an idea and he sees you implement it. He's like, wow, this Russell is a good steward of ideas. I'm going to give him another idea. And he sees like, is he going to do th- something with it? And if I do something, he's like, wow, he's a good steward of ideas. Let me give him another one. Let me give him another one. Right. And like, because I've been consistently now for 20 years being a good steward of ideas that God's given me, he keeps giving me better ideas and bigger ideas. And he puts other people in my place to help us to fulfill on these ideas because I'm a good steward of ideas. Right. And these ideas aren't like, I wasn't born any smarter than anyone else. I'm just a good steward of the ideas that I'm given. So I think the biggest thing is understanding like, this is not me. These are gifts that are coming from God. Like, he gives these things to us and he's given to all of us. And now it's like, what are you going to do with them? Because I guarantee, like, I know I wasn't the first person with the idea for ClickFunnels. I know because there were the eight people who were all trying to build the same thing at the same time as we were, right? We all had the idea. Like, he's giving everybody multiple ideas. He's like, who's going to be a good steward of it? Who's going to actually take it and do the thing? And that's the test, right? And so I think that's the biggest thing is understanding that. It's not you. It's this is the mission we have. And, you know, if you're on a mission, like, you can't do it by yourself. Like, who are the people? Like, we've been watching The Chosen, which is the greatest TV show of all time. But my favorite part is, like, First off, Christ is relatable. But second off, the first two seasons have all been like the gathering of his disciples, right? He goes and he finds these people who are in sin, who are doing bad things. He finds them and says, you know, like, stop doing what you're doing and then come follow me. And he's building this team. He's building, he's building his dream team to go and do his mission. That's how all of us are. Like, we've all been given a mission. And sometimes you're the leader of the mission. Sometimes you've got a skill set. Sometimes you're a Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Sometimes you're a Christ. Like, in your world, like, everyone's got a different role in it. But it's like, as soon as you say, like, I'm going to be a good student of this idea and start running, either the right person's going to come in that you can plug into and be part of that, or you're going to be the person and people are going to plug into you. But it all comes down to, like, like, God's got these missions for all of us to do, and they may not make sense on the outside, but, man, they're there. They're real. And if you listen and you follow it, then he keeps giving you more ideas and brings the right people into your path. Do you ever look up and be like? Really? This one? <laughs> this idea is going to work? Come on, do you ever do that? Please no. Well, imagine like Noah, like, hey, go build an ark. Like, please no. Okay, I'll do it. Like, 
For sure. And then sometimes, you know, and then always you second guess, like, wait, is this, are you serious about this? Is this really what works? It's interesting. Um, I was reading something. I've been geeking out about this, like how our brain works, right? There's different parts of our brain and stuff. And uh, there's like your conscious mind. Your conscious mind is like the part of your mind that always asks questions. So if you're sitting like asking question, 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 like that's your conscious mind. Then there's like the subconscious mind, there's different parts, right? But if, if you're hearing something, it's a question that's you talking to yourself, right? Part of your mind that's like, that does fear and, and protects your ego, stuff like that. Like that's like a loud voice and it speaks in absolutes, kind of like Satan. Like it speaks in absolutes. Like you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're dumb. You're blah, 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 right? And that's just this part of your brain is there to protect you. It's not going to make you successful. It's just there to protect you, right? And so it's like the absolutes that are yelling at you. And then there's this other's voice and it's a really quiet one. And it's the one that doesn't, it's not asking questions. It's not yelling absolutes. It's prompting like, hey, you should go do this thing. Hey, here's an idea. Hey, what if you did this? That's the gift of God. That's God speaking to you. That's speaking to your mind. And uh, it's understanding that. So you're hearing these voices, like, how do you know? It's like, well, are they yelling at me to protect my ego? Okay, that's not God. Okay, is it me asking questions? That's me rationalizing it's my own head. Okay, like your conscious mind doesn't say, go walk over there. Doesn't do it. Doesn't work that way. The conscious mind asks questions. So it's listening, like, where did that come from? What did, like, this thought came in. Is it a thought? That's from God. Let's go. Are you still enough to hear that? Because my brain is, <laughs> it's just going. If it's like, should I go do that? That's me rationalizing my head. If it's like, go talk to that person. I think over time, you get better at just like paying attention to that, where it's like, that's the call, go, right? And it's interesting. I've noticed this in my life. There are parts of my life where I'm better at receiving inspiration than other parts, right? In business, I'm really good at hearing and going. In my marriage, in my family, I'm not as good. Like I hear things and, I, and it comes back here and I fight and stuff like that and I don't go as often. And I, th- I definitely feel there's parts of my life I don't receive as much inspiration because I'm not a good steward sometimes of those ideas. That's when your wife steps in and says, he talked to me too. Let's go. Yes. I get it, man. Thank you so much, Russell. Honestly, man, you're a classy guy. I want to end it with one question. I thought this would be a fun question. I don't want to take too much of your time, but if, if you were to run for presidency, right, of this country, what's your first order of business, man? And I don't want to get political, but what would you fix first? So I honestly think the government is the worst run company in the history of all time. I would fire almost everybody and I would hire people who know how to run businesses. Like it is supposed to be a business, but we hire people who have never run businesses, you know, organizations who are good either speakers or politically or kissing butts. But like, it is the word, like if any government agency competed in any of our markets, they would lose. None of them are profitable. None of them are right. Like they all run into deficit. Like it's just ridiculous. So I would literally fire almost everybody and then rebuild it from the ground up because it is the worst run business of all time. What would your mantra be? I was like, make America great again. That's not it either. It's like make a, America a business. I don't even Hey, man, thank you so much. And I, and I honor your time, man. Please pass on the love to your wife and your family. Uh, I appreciate it. But check out ClickFunnels. And I'm honored, man. I can feel your testimony. What I do is I just ask you to keep doing it. We do have a concert coming up here in Mesa. I don't know if you know about it. July 14th, we have Ben Fuller to represent another addiction recovery concert. We're excited about it. So we thank you guys. Go check it out. We'll attach all the information onto this podcast. Have an amazing day. Thank you, Russell. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh, weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.